What's up guys? I'm Angel Asko and he is Arjen Maiker and behind the camera our manager is dead again uh, he's not dead guy this is just a running joke between both of us and he just had some family matter to attend he come back so anyway so today is episode 2 of Dumpling Interviews where every goddamn person and every goddamn YouTuber podcaster
first of all, the, the manufacturing processes are quite different. So when we're looking at the kind of tolerances for making something like PC RAM or like Core i3, which irrespective of whether we think it's a fast or a slow process, the manufacturing process, you know, 10 nanometers, it's that sort of thing. Versus 3D printing components are actually pretty simple. Like they're largely Arduinos, a lot of them, and Arduino uh, derivatives. Like still, and there are independent companies who are kind of making their own boards, and so mo things are largely mostly 8-bit, and like occasionally you get you know your 32-bit on like a bit of the higher end. So the processing power required to run 3D printers and even CNCs, it's tiny compared to what you have in your smartphone. So maybe because of that, it just doesn't seem <coughs> that that's been an issue. But that's just my perception. Um, maybe it is an effect to a certain degree. Maybe we just aren't buying new 3D printer boards that much these days. Like one of the issues with the global chip shortage and scalping, if you can look at that, two different issues are kind of two sides of the same coin, is that there is a huge increase in demand. And a lot of, we tend to blame scalping when things are out of stock, but a lot of stuff that is bought does actually go to people and not scalpers. There is just a huge increase in demand across everyone who needs chips. And there's just a bunch of companies who make those chips. So it's incredibly difficult to kick those fabs up in, uh, in production. And there's also, like, if you keep them on production, when this COVID whole thing goes away, is that then you've got like excess capacity. You can use that for maintenance, I guess, but I don't know if that's a thing companies are interested in. All we know is Intel hit all their uh, CPU goals, despite making not very good CPUs for a couple of years. So, I mean, the suits are happy, but as we know, they're going in a different direction now. Hopefully things will be better. It's kind of the best time and the worst time to buy PC components. They're really good, you can't get any. But happily with 3D printers, you can get them. There's still, I've not noticed any drop in supply. The biggest problem has been, for an Indian, not being able to get stuff from China. Not directly, at least. So moving along, um, say like you have already like big project, how many printers do you have working throughout the night and like how long does it take for like, like how one of those masks you made, right? The Batman mask, you know? Yeah, yeah. the Batman in the element. Well, so first of all, different machines work at different speeds and you know, you have quality deficits because of this and that, but I have, I find it, I have four machines. I won't, I, I'm, I'm almost never desperate enough to have all four of them running because it will just drive me insane. The last time I had, I had five machines running, making uh, face shields every day during the sort of beginning of COVID in Goa. And that's the most production I ever did. So they were running 24 seven. So I would have to give them like 10 hours, 12 hours of work through the night and wake up and I'd give them new work as soon as they were finished. And that was the, the most uh, I ever used them. Normally, I'll just use one. <coughs> the, like the, the Batman one you talked about. That's, I think that's a day and a half 
if my, my Iron Man uh, helmet, there was one part that was two days. So in total it was two and a half days on, on if you were using one machine. And I wanted to use one machine for consistency. Um, because I had only one of that type of machine. And I mean, people make print farms and people do multiple parts on one printer. I personally, at, at the rate I'm going, it's not all that useful, but like, you know, it, it's potentially a thing that I might do in the future. But 3D prints do take a lot longer than people realize. That's absolutely true. So half parts, which, which I've been doing lately, and chances are by the time this goes out, that'll still be like most recent stuff on my page. Those are usually, there are 15 hours if I'm trying to hurry up, and there are 24 hours if I'm trying to slow down and be mitigated with the detail. Very, you know, informative. You all used to think that this thing just takes one day. And regarding your smaller projects, like let's say a client wants a flower. Now to go into the intricate details, is it like a bit more difficult than a simpler shape? So this is one of the really, this is one of the really cool, unique things about 3D printing. No, a complicated shape and a simple shape with the same amount of material, will take roughly a similar amount of time. It's, it's the only time a shape takes longer in complexity, if, if the machine has to make weird moves that require it to slow down. That is an acceleration, it is bound by the laws of physics finally. But, it's really that there's, there's an overall rate at which material comes up, and the only thing that slows that down is acceleration and deceleration and like, you know, special conditions, you want your outer surfaces to look nice, interior you don't, you don't care whether it looks nice or not. But what that means is you can have a really complicated shape and a really simple shape and if they weigh the same amount, they take a roughly similar amount of time to print. And that changes from 3D printing technology to 3D printing technology. So different ones have different ways where complexity factors in. There's, there's DLP, which is, um, you know, LCD light masking. And the way that, that works is that it does not matter how big a layer is, it only matters how many layers. And you know, that's a little difficult to understand. What I mean is, it doesn't matter how wide or how long your part is, it only matters how tall it is. And similarly, it doesn't matter how many you print. So if you have a, like a chess piece, like a, a, a king that's upright, if you want to make one, in a DLP machine, and if you want to make 50, they take the same amount of time. So it, it does not, you know, the, the, the time consumption, the, it varies in a very interesting way, and it's kind of unique to 3D printing. That, it's unique to that particular type of 3D printing. It's not true for resin printing that uses lasers, or uh, powder printing <coughs> that uses lasers. It's unique to DLP, and that's a very attractive thing about it, is if you make wide and long machines, you, you do the whole layer at once. So it just cures a layer at once. And it, if the cure time for a layer is three seconds, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if there's a tiny bit of that layer that's printed or the whole surface is printed. It'll always take three seconds. So it only matters how many layers. So that's kind of interesting how things like economies of scale don't really apply to 3D printing. It costs the same to make one part as it costs to make a hundred parts, which is one of the 
more unattractive things, but the is why it makes a lot more sense for big companies to still do injection molding because the price per part is cheaper if you're making 10 million parts. But this this time-related calculations, I mean, I, I imagine that people will find interesting ways of improve, improving their manufacturing process, taking advantage of what just seems weird. Like, how can you make 50 parts in one in the same amount of time? And it with no negative effect on quality at all. But that's just one of the quirks of that specific type of 3D printing. And it's, you know, it's interesting, it's fun. We, we find ways of, of using the tech uh, and taking advantage of how it's just thoroughly unique. There are many shapes that you can only 3D print. Like there's the only manufacturing process that exists can, to make that particular shape is 3D printing. You can't see and see it. Um, you can't like mill it. You certainly can't do it manually. So it's it's always changing. And you know, the list of 3D printing texts in my head, maybe by the time this video goes out, there'll be a new one that I've heard of. That's kind of the rate at which the in information becomes obsolete. And that's really exciting. So, Kirishtar, uh, regarding your, you know, do you really own a Hilton or like are you a stakeholder or something? Everybody wants to know. Rentley has, has been marketing the fact that you are the owner of Hilton. If this, this question, which, if this question reaches the air, I'll never speak to you again. What is this? Get out of here. Can't have anyone here, is it? Okay, I guess he is. Redacted. Redacted. I hate oh. you guys. Okay. That's one of the things I want to hit. My company. My dad and my uncle set up. I don't own I own these jeans, that's about it. <laughs> I don't own the car I came here with. I barely own the fuel I put in it. Okay. Don't don't pick me up, it's not fun. Okay. So recently you like moved. Uh you you told me before. <laughs> I mean like it's it's true, but it's like there's nothing. It, it's just like there's nothing. I, I just okay. I guess, I guess his parents don't want to know that he moved. Okay, so let's continue. All right, now let's get back to our main topic. So you're working. We're not going to talk about what you're working, but you're working nonetheless. And yeah, I have a day job. Yes, you have a day job. He does something. We don't know what it is. It could be drugs also, but not <laughs> judging. Judging by the lighting that has been put on me, it, it looks like I'm a drug drug dealer being interviewed. It's not a mugshot. Don't worry. In some hole in like South America by Vice Media, but nonetheless, anyway, let's get I'm an officer, which is similar. You're you're working a day job and you are doing this as a hobby. Now, can yeah. you get enough time to do it, or are you? Too busy in your job. I mean, the simple answer is I'm hella busy, but you do struggle. I mean, it's it's almost like a litmus test on on whether you actually care about something or whether you know you're not that into it. Because I mean, we've all we've all tried at least a dozen hobbies by now. We've all must have tried an instrument at some point, a sport, and this and that. You know, you pick up stuff, you, you drop it. This is sort of something that I've stuck with. And I'm, I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware that I cannot leave it alone. So I will just always be thinking of something to do with this tech. And I, I can never see myself actually leaving it aside. 
like I've got a guitar that's gathering dust. I, I don't do that with my machine. That being said, I have three machines gathering dust, but I have one that's not, and that's what makes the difference. <laughs> that's that's the uh, that's the that's the, the line you cross. Um, yeah, I mean, you 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 make time, don't you? I mean, everyone's busy. That's just how the world is now. We're, we're not about to have a four-day work week, so you you kind of have to struggle to have a good schedule and make time for things that you care about. But in a way, it does really inform you about what you actually care about and whether you know something is a hobby you have forever or if you'll drop it. Because you know a lot of people do. It, it's not like the tech is so mesmerizing. Anyone who ever buys a three printer uses it all the time. Pretty common to buy one, use it a bit, get bored, and then it just gathers dust. So my question is now you said like you make time for you know 3D printing. Let's talk about what 3D printing has brought you. You have you know had four interviews, both being the one right now, <coughs> uh, one with Rudin Media, uh, one with uh, Get Creative Go, right? Get Creative Go, please come for us, and uh, one with us, uh, one with yours truly uh, on Spotify. So like. Why I am not asking if you are surprised that we approached you, but why are you surprised about Get Creative Goa and Student Media? Because again, we do need. Con I mean, the alternative is that I expected those, which I didn't. Like I absolutely, I I made no effort to seek that kind of thing out. I just, I mean, I just post what I make, and you know, if it gets traction, great. If it doesn't, I'm not so invested in that culture that it breaks my heart or anything. I just, I, I'm proud of what I do, you know, and, you know, I post that online. And that's kind of one thing that 3D printing has brought me, is that I, I now am aware that I'm a creative individual. I wasn't sure of that growing up, because I was always very mechanical. And engineers have this thing where they, in a sense, that's what 3D printing had brought me, because... I didn't really have anything to post online, and I certainly wasn't going to become one of those people who just posted their dinner every time they went out. Not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, you know. They're not calling anyone out, ladies and gentlemen at home. But uh, <laughs> I'm, that just wasn't me. I mean, I'm just starting to weekly, I think. But I did, I did probably create some kind of creative outlet, and and this was sort of it. It, it's it's weird because it's basically engineering, and engineers have maybe this mental block which we don't think of ourselves as all that creative. Despite the like the engineering process has it's like a process there are like steps and it makes you feel like it's not creative, which is untrue. It's it's very creative. It's creation in itself, but there's like this disconnect with people who engineer and artists who make things. They're remarkably similar processes but we just we tend to not think about it too much it's a little bit robotic like when you're when you're just doing the procedure but if you like kind of stop and smell the roses it's actually a lot of fun like you know you're not really aware but it's it's a lot of fun and 3d printing you don't just like design something and send it off you can just get it made <coughs> and maybe you don't but maybe it's not going to be made as well as like a final product. 
you know, with your home desktop treatment, but it, it tends to be, you know, it's a great experience just like making something based off of, if you're not good with your hands, if you're not a sculptor by trade, if you're not someone who can, you know, cut wood at exact right angles, just, you know, with basic tools, then you might find that you have an aptitude to just design things in a modeling software, send them to a 3D printer and have that machine try its best. And then there's a whole separate skill set of learning how to get that machine to work well and be well calibrated, which is, I do think that's kind of the skill. But it's, it's a creative avenue that didn't exist um, a few decades ago. It didn't exist commonly a few decades ago. It was sort of closed down under uh, walls and walls of patents, and very few had access to it. And now everyone has access to it. And there's this creative explosion where people are finding ways of using this technology that, honestly, it should blow your mind a little bit. Because so much of it, I a never thought of, and I never will think. I never would have thought of it if uh, if someone had thought of it first. That's kind of part of the fun of being in that community. Is aside in the moments that you're not trying to create something yourself, you just watch people, you know, with similar drives but different concerns, think of solutions to their problems, or just be creative. And it's very inspiring, and it does kind of. It's another force that makes you want to. Improve yourself. So now, what have you thought about for your future in this in this path? Well, one thing that I know for sure is that people do tend to ask me about three D stuff, but I don't want that to be my whole deal. I do want to uh, get into other forms of machining, and I mean. I don't know if you can call 3D printing machining. I think in kind of a sense, almost is. It's literally not, because you know, of the sort of definition of what machining is. But in the sense that someone who operates one maybe could be considered a sort of machinist, in a way. Um, I do want to get into that, because I, I have a lot of appreciation for what we might look at as old school methods of getting this done. Old school versus, let's say, multi-axis CNC, which is your high-tech, uh, largely automated CAM-based machinery. So it's it's you know it, it it's like 3D printing, in that in 3D printing you design something and a software figures out what the machine has to do and then it tells the machine to do it. CNC is kind of like that. You you put material on a bed, you design something, and then a software figures out how the machine is going to turn that block of wood into the carving that you have designed. So in that sense, the skill set of 3D printing and the CNC, there's a lot of overlap there. Like it transfers a lot. And I, and I want to get into that. And then I want to keep going. Like, obviously I can't move a bunch of heavy machinery through the front door of the house because that would be sort of insane. CNCs are a little bit messy. You know, I don't know if I can like clean up a kilo of wood chips out of my bedroom every day. I feel like it would make sleeping there a little bit dusty. So I'll get there eventually. But I I have so much fun learning about how things are made that I'm a hundred percent sure that I will not just stick to one type of three D printing, and I'm not going to stick to just three D printing. 
I'll definitely try out as much as I can. And I'll probably go too far as well. But that's that's part of it, isn't it? Plenty of really, really good 3 CNC machines as well. I think Haas makes a really, really good bunch of CNC machines. In fact, if you actually get pretty good at it, I'm pretty sure you might end up replacing the engineers of the Haas F1 team as well. What are your thoughts on that? First of all, how dare you? Second of all, <laughs> second of all, I mean, okay, let's not say me, but let's just say in general, 3D printed parts are already that one. There's already a ton of things that are 3D printed for Formula 1 cars. Just because that is one of those sports that really does chase after the bleeding edge of what's possible. Just to gain, just looking for that unfair advantage over your uh, rival team. So, they've been kind of early adopters. I mean, remember, this is just teams and teams of engineers, largely, who are very aware that this stuff exists and have the means, especially the larger teams, with what used to be 400, 450 million dollar budgets, we're talking Mercedes and Ferrari. And Red Bull comes in at 200. Now everything is kind of capped, and in the next few years the cap is gonna get a little bit uh, stricter. But still, it's still plenty of budget to try, and they have an incentive to try. It's, it's a competition sport. They don't get anything done by playing it safe, especially at the, at that part. Uh, so to to reply to your question, the engineers at Haas are three printing. So. I mean, that's just like what they're doing. Um, there's probably been a bit of a shift. There are some parts that used to be CNC that will be 3D printed now, which might be annoying to a team like Haas, which has the Haas name on it. But I mean, it's 2021. I don't know how much longer that Haas name is going to be on the side of the car. I suspect next year. We may not see it called that. But, you know. This guy is just zoning out right now. Okay. Hey, what is it? Can we can we like pause for a second? Yeah, sure. It it is still called Haas, right? Ural Kali Haas. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. We can just cut this bit out. Because it is it is Sunday, and it's it's Zandvoort today. In fact, it's Zandvoort in an hour or so, and. Um, and who knows? I mean, this is going to go out more than a week now. Yeah. So Monza will happen. Monza will happen. Okay, so uh, everyone watching at home, uh, Monza, yay! Or maybe... Mm. But if, it, if, it, if it's like Spa Part 2, then definitely no. Oh, ooh. Oh, you stink! Due to basically nothing. What happened is I and a friend of mine stared at a TV screen <laughs> for four hours to watch nothing. Safety car racing. So there's they, they completed a minimum number of laps behind the safety car. Behind the safety car means that there was no overtaking, they were driving very slowly. Because it was raining really, really heavily. And so what happened is all the cars went out for like a, basically a parade lap practically. Because there was no chance of anyone changing positions. And they just did that a bit. And whatever positions they started the race in, that's the positions they finished the race in. So basically qualifying decided the win. The only sort of, I mean, it, it's half points though. So the winner got half as many points as they would have if it was a proper race. And I, I mean, I think that improves it a little bit because I don't think anyone thinks of this as a legitimate race. It's not. Then there's a chance that that could happen again. And that 
really annoys me because I'll still watch it. If it starts raining and it red flags the session after they start immediately or, you know, it never even starts <coughs> the first lap, I'll still be watching the race in case they do. It's just abuse of Formula 1 because we're sort of idiots that way. We do take this abuse. But, yeah, so does everyone who watches any sport, I guess. Well, the first time, like I said, wrestling fans, you know, left out instead of, you know, Bangala 1 fans because I don't think, if you remember, when we stayed after watch WrestleMania, uh, there was a rain delay for like half an hour. I was asleep during that time. I didn't get proper sleep the whole time. But yeah, the matches were really interesting. Anyway, but now that we have spoken about the issues at Spa, I think what happened in qualifying also is another major problem, right? You remember Lando Norris? was going really fast. The rain was just as heavy as it was on Sunday, maybe even more. And then he had a huge off and he crashed into Oruj. Don't you think that there's a huge problem with the track and that it probably there's something that needs resurfacing? Even Formula W series for instance. It's a turn. I mean, W series is maybe an even better example than the noise thing. I mean, I think some people were saying that there might be an issue, there was maybe some oil on the track, and that's why you... Pause, pause, 10 minutes left. And that was, uh, so that people were saying that there may, may have been an issue, and uh, there might have been oil on the track, or something like that. I know Abby Eaton was racing in that race, and uh, it's a bit sad to see her get into a, an accident involving so many vehicles. It was pretty bad. Lando, luckily, was by himself, so he didn't crash into another vehicle. Mm -hmm really serious safety hazard. Spa is Spa, in, in kind of in the way that Monaco is Monaco, Spa is Spa. So, Eau Rouge to Radio, those two corners are really famous, famously dangerous. And we lost someone to Eau Rouge and Radio, uh, you know, Hubert. Uh, I like Hubert. I think Hubert, indeed. And we, 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 we haven't forgotten that. But it is a conversation that needs to be had about Safety, because the FIA tries very hard to make this as safe as possible, and this the sport has gotten amazingly safe. You know, you look at since 1994, I think, was when Senna died, and that was at Imola. And since then, the only person who has died from injuries sustained in Formula One was Jules Bianchi, who died from injuries sustained. So he died a year after his accident, um, and you know, we have not. Squandered that knowledge because we think we we introduced the halo in that time. So the halo is amazing. It's proven itself a number of times. Grosjean's crash uh, the previous year was horrendous. When he goes through, he went through the barrier and went straight through a barrier like a bullet. And if 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 the halo wasn't there, the thing deflecting the barrier would be him. His helmet would be the thing hitting the barrier. And the halo is. Uh, I wrote an article about it in like a, like a college magazine a while ago. Which was, you know, an incredibly solid chunk of titanium. It's really strong. I think Mercedes claimed that you could you know, drop a, a double-decker bus on it and it would barely deflect. And because it's designed to handle incredibly high dynamic loading, and uh, and it's done just that. Uh, but there's a bunch of drivers who avoided uh, dangerous. But getting back to talking about the track. Spa is inherently difficult to make a little bit safer just because of the geometry, the sort of landscape. Because, you know, you want, it's blind, 
we know that a bit of it is blind, so the drivers can't see the track as they're going past Rouge over Gladio. And we also know that there's not a huge amount of runoff area. And that's another thing that contributed to why Hubert had that horrendous uh, incident. But in my opinion, Monaco is worse. But Monaco is kind of the poster child of F1. No one wants to suggest that maybe Monaco is too dangerous for modern F1. But it is a street track on, uh, on modern F1. Cars going 300 kilometers an hour. I mean, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had at some point. No one wants to have it. Monaco. Monaco is a much slower track, right? There's much less room for overtaking than there is at Spa. Yeah, but is that... I mean, I looked at it. <coughs> I mean, nothing has happened so far, but we know how close, you know, people go. It, it, it's true, the speed at which you have an accident at Monaco is a lot slower than the speed at which you have an accident in Spa. But in Spa, you at least get a bit of run up. Monaco, it's straight into the guardrails. Yeah. It is frightening to, to watch and uh, F1, you know, doesn't do that many street tracks and we, we see Formula E and it's basically, it's like, uh, it's like rugby sometimes, the first corner like 15 car pilots, every race is a street track. I'm like, you know, people say that Formula E is not a lot of noise, there's a lot of noise in Formula E, you can hear crunching metal all the time and carbon fiber, it's all over the place. But I, I trust that people will look at that and make the right decision eventually. It may mean that emotionally we'll be scarred by things like removing Monaco or Spa from the calendar, which would break my heart, but maybe maybe it's the right thing to do. Removing them would make more sense than resurfacing, because it would ruin the track completely as well. We don't want another Sochi. <laughs> well, you know, there are some tracks that we really like and some tracks we don't. My favorite is Spa. I love it more than Monaco. And largely because of Oruch to Radio. But it has to be said, how many Kubers are going to happen? Because, you know, it is it is just dangerous, that track. We have to have that conversation. So, moving on to the final question. This is sponsored by our dead manager, minutes before he died. Uh, so, yeah, do you play any... Do you play any video games? I mean, in case it wasn't clear by now that I was the biggest dork in the two mile radius. Yes, I do play video games as well. Just like, do you as play the final you know, nail in that coffin. So, like, do you play you know, F1 titles? I do play F1 because, you know, I'm that one dimensional of a character. <laughs> what do I like? You just like us! I might as well. <laughs> I might as well buy the games and things that I watch on the TV at the time of the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so again, another question from the guy just tried. Um, do you like, uh, you know, arcade or simulation or like the mix? I want to get into simulation. I've, I've dabbled in simulation, but simulation is a bit all or nothing. I'm a little bit too busy for all or nothing. Sometimes you just wanna you just wanna start something up and just get straight into it. And so as a result of that, I am I'm, I'm a bit more into arcade, or at least things where you can you kinda of jump straight in. Like, you know, Horizon 4 rather than F1 2017. Because like when I'm in a menu and I'm thinking, oh how many laps should I do? Should I do thirty? Should I do fifty? Should I do like two days of practice? I just this is this is not that fun. This is too real. 
too much like real life. Like it, it's only a matter of time they're like, okay, this repair cost takes an hour. Go away, do something else for an hour while we repair this car in real time. I mean that's not a thing, but like that's kind of what it reminds me of when it I mean obviously it's a game so you can choose to have almost none of that. You can get straight into it. It's not, you know. But I do want to be that person who has I've built like a kind of racing sim uh, cockpit and I and it's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever sat in. So I need to fix that first. And then like put a wheel and uh, monitors and all that and get into that whole thing. But I mean, I, the more I look at it, I'm like, why don't I ever have the time? I'm kind of terrified that I just wasted 40, 50 hours maybe of putting that thing together and then I just won't use it. But hey, you know, it looks nice. But, hey, you know, it looks nice. Okay. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> folks, thank you so much, Mr. for joining us. I know you like had to sacrifice a lot of time to be here. Thanks for doing this again. It was it really was a pleasure. Yeah, any final remarks? Remarks? No, I mean like the pleasure was all mine. It wasn't a lot, but it was all mine. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It's a Sunday, you know, putting the set together, recording a video, and uh, yeah, I hope I never see you guys again. <laughs> On that note, see you guys. Peace. Peace.